defender of the faith, told a story about a man that he met. Now, this man was in a Middle Eastern country, Muslim country. Cannot, he would not name the country. He was in this country, grew up there, was in the army, and he, he started having dreams that he had, he had dreams that he would encounter Jesus in these dreams, and it scared him to death. Now he, he's you know a Muslim and he's in the army. He said, in the army they train me to do two things. They train me to kill people, and they trained me to forge passports. Said so that was my two jobs. But I started having these dreams as a young man in the army. I went to my mother and said, I've had these dreams, uh, what do I do? And she said, flee the country immediately. It's a true story. And after some time, they were able to smuggle him out of the country. He was able to get out of the country and he uh, went to school, and while he was at school, he met a Chinese businessman, not in China, but in whatever country that he fled to. He met this Chinese businessman, and he led him to Christ after some period of time, and the man became a Christian. Dr. Zacharias met him and heard this story when he was in his first year of seminary studying for the ministry. So Dr. Zacharias said, what are you going to do when you finish seminary? He said, I'm going back to my home country and tell them about Jesus. And he said, that's a great story. He said, how are you going to get there? He said, well, remember, I also learned how to forge passports. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so that, that started my day off right when I heard that story this morning. I thought that was good. In chapter 5 of Acts, we had an internal problem, didn't we? We had Ananias and Sapphira. And those two raised a real problem. I thought about their problem this week, a problem that was intertwined with pride and with greed. And it reminds me of what was in the headlines this past week and what would the alleged crime of the young man who is set up stories and everything else and, and looks like it faked an attack and all of this. And it's all based on pride and greed. You say, well, how do you know it's greed? Well, he was upset with his salary, which was in excess of $100,000 an episode. I thought about Ananias and Sapphira. I said they, they were a real problem in the church because they held back some of the money that they said, no, they lied. They said, here's the money, here's all of the money we got for the possession that we sold, and they were lying. They obviously had pride in the fact that they could be considered someone like Barnabas who gave everything and put it at the apostles' feet. So that's what they wanted to do, right? And they lied. Peter said, what tempted you to lie to the Holy Ghost? Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? You lied to God. He dropped dead. And the wife came in a few hours later and she dropped dead as well. A case of severe church discipline. That was a problem that God dealt with directly. Now remember, we're tracking the birth of the first church. And it's an amazing story. But it's not just a story for 
our enjoyment, it's a story for our learning and our encouragement and our uh, conviction at times. It's, it's a story that is, is probably one of the greatest stories uh, told in Scripture. But in this second case where we have some problems in the church, we have a problem of ministry that the apostles have to deal with themselves. They're required to go and handle this problem. And the way they handled it is amazing. Now I call this, I veered off of the church's you know, recommended titles and passages and call this growing pains because I think it really is. I also thought it would be, be good to title this dealing with differences in the church or I had even, I had even a third title, serving, serving tables and serving the word. So that's what we're going to talk about today in this passage. There's an outline. I also have three outlines. You pick which one you like. The first one is my, my stab. It always seemed like I always make an effort to make an outline that has some type of alliterative usage so that it helps aid in our memory. And I find that many times it doesn't anyway, but I do it because it's fun. But you have the problem in verse 1. You have the plan that is needed to address a problem in verse 2. You have the process of selection then in verse 3 and 4, the proposal that pleased the group. In verse 5, the prayer for success and blessing, verse 6, and the purpose of the church was fulfilled. In verse 7, the word of God spread. An easier outline is... The problem, the solution, and the results. But one more just in case you need another one. Or problems, priorities, and progress. All right? So you have enough outlines so that all you Bible scholars can go away now and you have, you have good outlines to follow as you study. Now, let's, uh, let's read verse 1 and let's just talk about what the problem is because it's defined fairly clearly in the first verse. In those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, which you should underline in the Bible, we'll come back and talk about that in a second. Who are these people? The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So, what's the problem? Tell me, what's the problem? People are not getting served. The widows are not getting served. Large group of widows. It, it's, it's, the good news is that the church is growing because it says that well, the number of disciples was increasing. We've, we've seen that in the last three weeks. The bad news is there's a problem in the ministry of that church with the daily ministering to the widows. I'm sorry? Yes. Okay, we're coming. Yes. You know, when you have when you have a seminary graduate in your class, she uh, she's thinking I'm already ahead of you. You know, so I have to be fast, or I can't keep ahead of Sue. So, no, that's, that's, you're exactly right. That's my next point. Uh, let's let's think about what this. Try to picture what this church looked like. I, I studied this to try to determine what the best minds said about people during that area, you know, how many converts, what does this church look like? There was probably about 20,000 believers in Jerusalem at this time, give or take 5,000 or more. 
So it's very, very dubious as to what the actual total is. But 20,000. So you've got a Lake Point, Jerusalem, right? And, it's, and it just keeps on growing, keeps on growing. Now, what had just happened to the apostles? The apostles had just gotten jailed. They were just beaten when they got out of jail. Before they, got out, when they get out of jail, they, they flogged them and say, don't go preach about this anymore. And they go back and they're rejoicing. So the first thing that happens, I mean, people are getting saved and they're proclaiming the good news and they get back and they're expecting everything to go great and they come to them and they, you know, maybe still have their bloody backs and still have the, the, the pain of uh, being imprisoned and thinking they're going to lose their life and they come and say, hey, we've got real problems. <laughs> and, you know, if you've, if you've been in a church very long, this is exactly the way it works, Right? This is exactly the way it works in a church. We get off of, and somebody don't, don't jump to conclusions and say that the ministry, the distribution to, uh, of the meals was unimportant. It was not unimportant. It was very important. That's why we focus on it today. But it's a matter of priorities. And we'll see this again. I won't go over that any further right at this moment. It seems that there was concerns not just, and this gets to Sue's point, not just about that they, the widows were being skipped, it's which widows were being skipped. This could be a problem in showing favoritism based on who these widows were. Now you've got, before we go into this, as a matter of fact, I listened to a sermon this week by a guy, I don't even know what his name was. He, he used this passage to, to address a, a biblical way to approach racial tension. It was amazing. I'd never heard this passage used for that, but it was a, it was a brilliant message. So uh, it, it's similar to a serious racial problem between Jews and Gentiles, but Really, both groups were Jews. So we'll see the difference in just a moment. Let's talk about widows, though, during this period of time. There's a lot of widows. Most people would agree that mortality rates were obviously quite a bit lower than they are today, probably in the 50s lifespan. And with women, again, as they are today, living a bit longer uh, on average than men. So you had a large number of widows that needed help. Why did they need help? No social services, no welfare programs, no social security, and in many cases, families did not take care of, of widows within their own family. And outside of the Jewish tradition of taking care of widows, if you were to go look in the Greek cultures and the Roman cultures and so on, you'll find out they had a much different view of how to take care of widows than in the Jewish tradition. As a matter of fact, God makes a big deal about it. Let me just remind you of a couple of passages of Scripture. Uh, I've given out some uh, Scriptures to read this morning. What God's concern for the care of, of widows in the Old Testament. Um, Deuteronomy 10, 17. Who's got that? James, you have that? For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, <clears throat> mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. 
All right, that's Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 18. Who has Isaiah 1, 17 and 23? Doug? Uh, 17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the followers, complete the widow's cause. And 23, your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Okay. Jeremiah 7. Don, you got Jeremiah 7, 5 and 6. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own heart. Okay, so this is the scriptures that they had at that current time. We also have scriptures that say pure religion undefiled <clears throat> is to take care of widows and orphans and so on, the disenfranchised. So they, the church was adopting this from Jewish tradition and from the Old Testament scriptures into the church. But there was a problem there with these two groups. Let's take the first group. The first group were the Hellenist or Hellenistic Jews. Now, these were Jews by birth, okay? Both groups are Jews. These are Jews by birth, but they had adopted the language, the culture, and the customs of their uh, Gentile or Greek neighbors. And so it's just like in the U.S., especially back during early days of immigration in the U.S., neighborhoods built up of... Irish or Italian, and so on, and Polish, right? <laughs> Thought we'd throw that in for you. And pray for Mariola today. She's safely in Poland uh, with her father, and so we're praying for her. But they, they had adopted, here was the big difference. The big difference was what? Does anybody know what the big difference between these two groups would be? Language. Language. They had adopted Greek as their language, their common language. And language, differences in language, you think about it today. Differences in a language makes an, an immediate divide, doesn't it? Whether we want it to or not, it just naturally does. And so that was your, your Hellenistic Jews. Number two was the Hebraic, Hebraic Jews. Now, these were the traditional Jews. They were the traditional Jews in dress, in custom, in culture. They separated themselves from anything that was what? Gentile. Right? The Hebraic Jews, and this is seen over and over and over in Scripture, just because they had become Christians did not mean that they left some of those traditions that it was going to take some time for them to realize that all were equal in God's sight, as Paul preached many, many times. So they spoke a different language. They spoke colloquial uh, Hebrew or Aramaic. And when they had to, they would speak Greek. But for the most part, it was, it was Aramaic or Hebrew. So the church was growing, but the infrastructure wasn't matching the growth. Sort of like why you know, we don't have enough parking spaces today. 
And if somebody were to come in and say, well, the Spanish church got all these parking spaces, but we didn't get any park parking spaces. Very similar. Much more serious, I think, here than not having a parking space. But you get the analogy. And you see how it could be construed as a, a discriminatory favoritism. And so the apostles come out, and man, they come out of jail, come out beaten, but they're rejoicing. People getting saved. The church is growing. God is blessing. And then, boom, we got a problem, a serious problem. And they took it seriously. It was, it's, it's deeper, though, than just what we used to call at work, the boxes and wires. It's not just an organizational problem, right? It's a problem that is... Um, deeply embedded, most likely, in these differences that people had. So, it goes on. Now, if, if, you, if, you've ever, if you've been in church for a long time, you know that this is the beginning of the discussion of deacons uh, in the church. We'll get to that in a second. So, they were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Underline daily distribution of food. Look to the last few words in verse 2, wait on tables. Those are going to be the same word. We'll talk about it in a second. So the 12 gathered, in verse 2, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Now, well, let's go ahead and read verse 3 and 4 so you can see that. Brothers and sisters, choose... Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Right? Okay. Now, that's, that's the solution. Choose seven people, they'll take it over. But this, these two verses, are, three verses, are, are just rich with uh, important things for understand, us to understand. This is the beginning of the church office of deacon, and it, which is fully developed later on in your New Testament. You have wait on tables. He said we were, they were overlooked and waiting on tables and the daily distribution of, of, of food. Same form of the word diakonia, uh, the deaconate. Uh, this is where we get our concept and word or deacon in the church, having deacons in the church. Many of you have served as deacons in the church. And our goal is not to talk about the office of deacon in depth today. There's other passages of scripture that do that. We're not going to do that today. Um, the word deacon has the idea of, being, uh, of serving, of being obedient in a humble attitude, of uh, uh, submissiveness. So that's what the, the word actually means. And he said, how do we get them? Brothers and sisters, choose, choose. It's an interesting word here as well. The word choose means to observe by inspection and examination. To observe by inspection and examination. Because you, you've got, the, the church was to carefully select Men of character to fulfill these responsibilities. Men of character. I'll come back to that in a second. The apostles didn't choose, did they? The apostles came and said, you choose. That's very important. 
They didn't say, we're going to come and tell you who your new deacons are and solve this problem. No, that's not what it says at all. The, and one of the reasons, which group would all 12 of the disciples belong to, the apostles belong to? Which group? Hebraic Jews or Hellenistic Jews? Anybody, you got a 50-50 shot here, folks. They're saying Hellenistic? That's why they're sitting at the back, all right? You got a 50-50 shot and you missed it, all right? All right, they were all Hebrewic. They were all Hebraic Jews. They were, they were from uh, Galilee. They were from, they were supposedly the uneducated, common fishermen, but Jews, traditional Jews. Now, for these tw the 12 apostles, what kind of guys do we have to have? He said they're known, in verse 3, they're known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. So they should have your, of a reputation. There should be evidence that they're full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That was, the, that was it. They should have evidence and a reputation that they were full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. That's all. It doesn't say anything, and they should have the gift of administration. Did you notice that? And they, it doesn't say that they should have the gift of helps or of serving or of speaking in tongues or prophesying or on and on and on and on and on. It doesn't say anything about the gifts. So they should, they should manifest evidence of those two things, some say three, but they should have a reputation of being full of the Spirit and of wisdom. So it's all about character not capabilities. It's all about what, we, what, what people see. You can see that someone is filled with the Spirit. Which is an amazing thing if you think about it. But would you agree with me that when you see people that love the Lord, that know Jesus, and you can say, yeah, that guy's filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't. What I thought was interesting in studying this is that they did this so we can focus, verse, verse 4, we will turn this responsibility over them and we will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the Word. He said we could focus on our calling. Now this doesn't mean that the apostles could not lower themselves to serve tables. Why? Because if you go back in uh, chapter 4, verse 35, verse 37, they were responsible for the distribution and, and all of these Little details previously. They handled all of it. It said they came and they laid the money at the disciple at the at the disciples' feet, at the apostles' feet. They took it and they, they gave out all the money. All twenty thousand people. They come and bring their stuff. But they said, We can't do this anymore. Because what does that mean? It means we will have to stop preaching and start waiting on tables. Nothing wrong for them to wait on tables, but that's not what God had called them to do. God had called them to bring the new church into the world. <laughs> so it's important to remember what our focus, calling, and mission is. Now look at verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. Another thing I thought was interesting about this is that they, these were 12 Hebraic Jews, and they said, you choose. We're not going to choose, so there won't be any indication of discrimination whatsoever. 
All right? And look what happens. They chose Stephen, man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Do we know Stephen? Know who Stephen is? We're going to study him. Really, we, could, we had the whole chapter to study today, but verse uh, 8 on down to the end of the chapter goes with chapter 7 better. Stephen becomes the first martyr, of course. And so we'll, we'll talk about that uh, next Sunday. They chose Stephen and Philip, Philip the evangelist, and we remember some of the things of Philip. And then the other people that they chose, Procurus, Decaner, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. All right, now let me have you guess again. I'll give you a big hint. You guys in the back can be right this time if you stick with the same answer. <laughs> Who are these guys? These are all what kind of names? Greek names. These are all Greek names. Every one of them that they chose had Greek names, most likely... They were the Hellenistic Jews. Isn't that interesting? How God led in the choosing of men to resolve this problem who lived with the problem and knew the problem. Amazing how the first church gets going. The other amazing thing about this is that only two are known anywhere else in Scripture from that seven. Stephen and Philip. And most of the time, people that are serving, that's going to be the case. Most of the time. You think of this. you got seven, two out of seven are known. Nineteen, the twelve apostles and this seven, nineteen out of twenty thousand are known. Right? And I, we heard just a few weeks ago when we had the Volunteer Sunday and people came and over 2,000 people signed up to volunteer in ministries. Out of that 2,000, if we put the same statistics there, you know, maybe 20 of them will get there, maybe 10 of them, maybe 5 of them will ever get their name in lights because that's not what it's about. And it's, it's so clear to me that the emphasis is on serving, not on the server. All right, and then it says they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now that laying on of hands, praying and laying on of hands was again something in the Old Testament that happened many times. It happened for blessing, Genesis chapter 48. It happened for identification in Leviticus chapter 4. It happened for authority in, in uh, Numbers chapter 27. It was passing something intangible from one person to the other. So I'm passing this blessing on to you, seven men. They laid their hands on them. They prayed and said, get after it. Results of, the, of, of their effort were pretty good. Look at verse 7. So the word of God spread. Now, fascinating story if you think about it. The guys are preaching and people getting saved and oh, we have, a, we have a, probably a, a difficulty of favoritism here. It could split the church. And for those of you who are new Christians maybe and you've never been through what's called a church split, it's not a fun process. It's not a godly process. And yet here... The church is growing, church is growing. We've got a problem. They handled it correctly. 
There are so many different principles applied, and what happened? God blessed them, and even though the preachers didn't stop, you know, preachers didn't stop preaching, the seven people started feeding, making sure that the widows got fed. Probably some of the widows were helping as well in this daily ministration. They were probably just overseeing, making sure, because there could have been thousands. So all of that happened, and the word of God still spreads. And look at this next one. This is really cool. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And, all, I mean, we're still going. We're, we're 20,000 going, moving on. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, that's revival. A large number of priests. Now, these were the common priests. There's thousands of these priests. This is not the high priest. This is not the chief priest. This is not the mob priest like we talked about a few weeks ago. This is not Caiaphas. This is not Annas and all of his family. This, these are the common priests who come in on a two-week cycle and administer all of the temple daily servings that they have to do. They're serving the people. They're, they're down and dirty doing what has to be done. My guess is these priests who convert from Judaism to Christianity at this point, they are seeing how the church is serving. And they said, this is, I understand that. And uh, what a testimony. And then they come to Christ. All right, let me give you two applications, two sets of applications. One comes from Chuck Swindle. I can't take any credit for it, and I'll give Chuck Swindle all the credit for it because he's such a smart guy and I like him. Number one, strong leadership doesn't guarantee an absence of leadership in the church. <coughs> strong leadership does not guarantee an absence of leadership in the church. You may have a Steve Stroop and a Josh Howerton who are strong, great leaders that we all thank God for. That doesn't automatically mean we have strong leaders throughout the church. Now we do, but they have to be put in place. And they have to be unleashed. Number two, rapid growth doesn't excuse unmet needs. Well, we're just getting so big we can't do that anymore. Wrong answer. It's wrong answer if they would have come to the, uh, the apostles and said, hey, we've got this problem. We can't do it. They said, well, figure it out. I can't do anything about it. I'm preaching, man. This is, the, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I am an apostle. That's not what he said. They figured it out. Number three, concerned involvement doesn't require losing priorities. Met the needs, but kept focus on the mission to reach people for Jesus. And number four, a large church can have an effective ministry. How many of you ever heard, well, I just can't go to a large church. You know, a large church, you know, people go and they just sort of sit there and hide and they don't have to do anything. And No excuse for a large church not to have an effective ministry. Here's my application that I put on other application, I'll call it. A spiritual growing church does not guarantee a problem-free church. Ever. Ever. How many of you have been, beside this church, how many of you have been in a great church before? Raise your hand. All right? Keep them up. Now, for those of you, your hands are up. You've been in a great church. How many of you in those great churches never had one problem? Put your hand down. Put your hand down if you didn't have any problems. Okay? Most of you, there you go. 
I didn't ask that the way you liked it, did I? How many of you in a large church saw that there were problems? Great church. Okay. I got to learn how to ask my questions better. Trick me was a trick question. See if you're listening. I've been sick, folks. I, I don't know what I'm doing. Anyway. I didn't hear the awe appropriately. As as, there you go. That's, that's much better, much better. The, the problems of growth provide opportunities for new leaders. We've seen that in our class. The church multiplies as more people serve. And number four, the majority of servants are unknown. Not a great story. More great stories than Acts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you and to your presence with thanksgiving, with joyful hearts. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for putting us in such a great church that we're in and an assembly of believers that, that uh, have leaders who believe in reaching people for Christ, even as we saw today and yesterday as people come to Christ. We saw last week 60-something people coming to Jesus as Savior. What a blessing. Thank you for the model that we have here today. Thank you for the opportunity to serve. And, and most of us unknown, but known by you. In Christ's name, amen.